This is Dave Broadbeck uh, here talking to you, and as I guess you'd imagine considering the name of the podcast. And uh, the lecture you're about to hear is from the fall term in 2018 from Algoma University. It is Biology uh, and also Psychology 2606, Brain and Behavior. Hope you enjoy it. We were last time talking about these important subcortical structures, hippocampus, amygdala. And I mentioned this, of course, hippocampus important memory. We just saw as we were looking for those articles about spatial that spatial memory in people, which is kind of cool because we usually think of it for people. We think of it for episodic memories for people. I talked about the case of HM last time. But the London cab drivers with the bigger hippocampus than non-London cab drivers is pretty amazing. Amygdala emotion. Thalamus is a sensory router, so it's like the router in your house that you have hooked up so you can get internet both to a computer and to your, I don't know, your smart fridge. Everything doesn't have to be on the internet. Just saying. I don't want the man knowing what's in my fridge. It's mostly pop to mix with liquor. Um, Hypothalamus, okay, important in uh, thermoregulation, important in thirst, uh, hunger, sex drive. It basically is keeping you, it's homeostatic systems, right? So it's keeping everything regulated. There's a certain part of, uh, I think it's the dorsal hypothalamus, I may be wrong on this, that if you lesion it in rats, they don't stop eating. So you get a rat that weighs, normal rat weighs about 300 grams. Like if you buy a rat in, in, in a pet store, yeah, 300 grams. You can get a rat that now, after the, that, that lesion, that'll weigh like 1.2 kilos. That's a fat rat. That's, that's a morbidly obese rat. It's kind of cute in a way, but it's also kind of, be kind of mean. Also, you'd have to know how to do that lesion, so don't do it. Um, now the... Ventral hypothalamus, they won't start eating. They don't start eating. They have, there's no hunger. So what you have to do is actually force feed them if you do that leisure. A lot of fun doing that. By fun, I mean it's horrible. Taking a rat and holding it steady and taking a tube and literally forcing it down its throat and injecting right into its stomach condensed milk. That's how you force feed them. A lot of fun. Science. We were doing that thinking, I didn't sign up for this. It's like, yeah, you did actually. Nucleus accumbens. Ah, the accumbens. The accumbens uh, is part of the reward system of the brain. So you got the, uh, and there's a circuit that runs from um, the nucleus accumbens to the ventral tegmental area to the medial forebrain bundle. And that's your reward circuit. It runs on the neurotransmitter dopamine, and it is activated when you feel, when something feels good. It's the reward system. So it's directly activated by, let's see what, I don't know, uh, heroin, <laughs> cigarettes, weed, family guy, Halfway decent steak. <laughs> Anything that feels good, 
Sacks activates that. You might wonder why would someone stick a needle in their arm? Because it make, it feels great for a short period of time. Apparently, never having done heroin, I've seen people do heroin. For a time, they're really having fun. At the very beginning, it's they look like a person I know who did heroin described it as my whole body having an orgasm for 45 minutes, and it's like I want to go to there. You know, like you want some, and then you realize, but there's a bad side from what I understand. But things like, you know, things that aren't illegal, like sex and food and alcohol, operate that circuit. And it could be other things, too. Like I said, it could be family violence, if you like family violence. It could be watching Mad Men. Watch the, I'm on my ninth time through. Just finished season four, episode seven. You might wonder, why do you keep watching them? I don't know. It's like the heroin. <laughs> I've watched The West Wing 12 times. I'm, there's, my son has autism, and I think he comes by it honestly, right? Because I mean, like, I get obsessed with things. Or, or making, finishing a mission in a, in a video game, and you get that, oh yeah, that feeling? It's being operated. It's great. Good times. The medulla uh, wakes you up, sleeping wakefulness. Okay? So that's not the only important, the only subcortical structures, but that's a few of them that you'll hear me talk about and you'll talk, you'll read about it before. Now the debrain, the debrain, the debrain is divided, I can't even speak, I don't know what's wrong with me, it's a very specific lesion. The brain is divided into two hemispheres, the left hemisphere, I need the diagram, the, the model for this, it's the, there's the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. They're your left and your right, okay? So you're, that way and that way, right? And they're connected by, it, the, by the corpus callosum. Corpus callosum is Latin. It means big body. Corpus is body, and callosum obviously means big. Like as we get the word colossal. So the corpus callosum um, <coughs> connects the two hemispheres. The two hemispheres, now there is what's called laterality in in other words, the left side's doing somewhat different things than the right side. Remember I talked the other day about left brocus area, left right brocus area, left varicus area, right varicus area. The left part of your brain controls the right half of your body. The right half of your brain controls the left half of your body. We're, we're wired what's called contralateral. Don't ask me evolutionarily why. I don't know. No one really knows why. It's weird. <laughs> why would you do that? Again, the designer asleep at the switch or killer sense of humor. So you may have heard things, and I think I said this in the first day, about people being left or right-brained. People that believe these things are no-brained. Um, there's no, that's not a thing. That's up there with you use 10% of your brain, another great one. You know, if you just unlock the other 90%, it's always being used, all of it. And no one is left or right brain. And it's not the, the left, how's it supposed to go? Is the left emotional and the right analytical? Is that what people say? I think that's the thing. That's, that's not true. Now, 
the left is a little quicker, on average, with most people, especially uh, right-handed people. Your handedness is related to laterality. And it's especially in men, but also in women. I mean, it's, it's, it's much more pronounced in right-handed men than anybody. But it's also pretty damn pronounced in right-handed women. Okay. So it's not like everything's switched around. You may have been told this. It's, it's less likely that you're lateralized, left being better at language, and right being better at sp- doing, doing better at spatial things if you are right-handed. But it's not like left-handers are switched around. They're more likely to be switched around, but it's still the rarer set. So what happens if we have someone that has no corpus callosum? Well, why would we do that? Well, what if you have really severe epilepsy and it starts in one part of your brain, moves to the other? There is a, a, a treatment that has been, it's a treatment of way last resort, but you sever the corpus callosum. So the person basically has two brains, right? So what happens now is that when you give them information into their right visual field, it goes to the left part of their brain. So reading words, they can do with their right visual field, but not so much with their left visual field. You don't notice this on a day-to-day basis if you're one of these patients because it goes into both, you're fine. Or if I show you a picture you're better at recognizing that in the left visual field because it's a spatial thing. Okay. <coughs> if you want to get people who are, you take people who have severed corpus callosum, you split brain patients, and you have them do any kind of spatial task, like say the mirror tracing task, they really have to do that with their left hand. They can't, even if they're right hand, they can't do it with their right hand because if you control the other part of their brain, and it's not good at spatial stuff, as, as good at spatial stuff. Pretty cool, right? I mean, it's not cool to have, to have that done. That's probably shitty. But the result's cool. The result's cool. If I play words in your right ear, you're going to recognize them. And this is actually true of even all of you who aren't split brain patients. Chance of anybody here is a split brain patient is virtually nil. If I play a word into your right ear, you're going to recognize that word more quickly than you're in your left ear. Now, it's on the order. We measure this in tenths of a second, by the way. But it shows us that we have, later, we have laterality in the brain. Pretty cool, right? Now, not all animals have a corpus callosum. A lot of birds only have a small bundle of fibers at the back of their brain connecting two hemispheres. Birds, in essence, most birds, are split-brain patients. Done, not done, obviously the E is beside W, and I haven't noticed that. And I've had that slide for years, and I don't, every year I believe I probably say I'm going to edit that, and I don't. Um, but it's funny, because I, I update things constantly, but typos I miss. Like, I'll see it's underlined with the rating written down, oh, that's spelled right, it's done. Um, so, Nikki Clayton, um, who's an amazing researcher, has done some very cool work showing that, so there's these birds that store food, okay? Uh, you know chickadees? You know chickadees store food, right? They store food and they recover it later. And they use hip, hip, hippocampus, it's hippocampally mediated, by the way, so because they have to remember where that food is, right? 
So instead of studying chickadees, because Nikki's over in the UK, she studied marsh tits. Marsh tits are like chickadees, except they're, they, they're, they're British. They, they, they almost, they're very similar looking and sounding and behaviorally. It's like chickadee dee dee is really the only difference there. Instead of, you know, chickadee. So what she did is she covers up one eye with a, with a um, little eye cap put on with false nail, uh, sorry, false um, eyelash glue on the bird. And the bird goes and stores a seed. Okay? Because they'll do that. They just, that's what you, right? It's this time of year especially, they'll just store seeds. That's what they do. They let them free, you know, in a, in a big room, big aviary, they store seeds. And then take the eye cap off, then very carefully, you don't hurt the poor animal. And it's a wild animal, so you be super careful. And then you cover up the other eye. And then you see if, uh, if the little bird uh, uh, can, can find the seed, and it can't when it's other, because it, it's using, the information hasn't gone from one part of its brain to the other, because it's not as a corpse colostomy. That's pretty cool, right? Now see, there's an example of something that is behavioral, but we make inferences in general substrate, because it's the only way to work. That kind of work was pioneered by David Sherry of the University of Western Ontario. Um, and I, I talked just briefly before about how birds, before we start recording, about how a lot of birds have two visual systems. They have a visual system for the front and a visual system for the sides, because their eyes are, most birds, the side of their head, right? So they see like 360 degrees. And the side one is for flying, and the front one is for pecking at things. So it would be interesting if you could get different information into one visual system or the other visual system, the front or the side, and also going from the left brain to the right brain. And in fact, I won't, I'll spare you the details, but it turns out that information transfers from the front to the side and the side to the front within each hemisphere, but not between hemispheres. And that's, uh, that's work by... Roberts, Phelps, Makuta, Russ, and Broadbeck. Was it? I, I did a little thing I did. A long time ago. If you want to read it, you can, but you can't use it for your paper. So. All right. Okay. Talk a little bit about neurons. We're going to talk so much about neurons soon, you're going to hate neurons. Except that you'd be bad because if you had no neurons and you hate them so much, you'd, I don't want any neurons in the brain. So, neurons are the cells that are the basic information processing units of the nervous system. Okay? Right now, that's a decent definition. It's going to get way more complicated soon. But for now, this will do. <coughs> but I think it gets way more complicated on Monday. Uh, then we have glial cells. Glial, it's from a Latin word, glia, which means glue. Okay. They're the support cells. They do everything from keeping out infection to cleaning up dead cells. So a neuron dies, a glial cell basically eats it. It's got to go somewhere. Um, to making myelin. All kinds of stuff like that. They use support functions. 
but they aren't doing the information processing. Okay, that's what neurons do. But without glial cells, your neurons, you may as well just quit having neurons. Uh, neurons, right now, most of you guys know about this because you learned it in intro psych and even, I believe, high school biology. You talk a little bit about uh, sort of neural anatomy, uh, neuron anatomy, cell anatomy. Neurons have axons and dendrites, right? And dendrites, it has many dendrites and one axon. When these rooms were first, this, this building, as you probably can tell, is pretty new, right? Maybe eight years old. And when it was first put in, people would, um, they forgot that it had a motor, and they tried to pull the screens down. Things got broken. And then we were eventually told if that happened again, it would come out of your paycheck. <laughs> it stopped happening. Um, Oh, that wasn't in here. It was in NW200. That's right. Because in here, you, how, would you, how could you do that? By the way, does anybody else find that this place smells like Best Buy? The whole <laughs> building? It's not, it's not just me? Okay. So a neuron, this is why you're going to see the second one. Um, my wife is a, is, a, is a visual artist, like an actual visual artist. My sister is a commercial artist. I don't have any of those skills, as you will see in a moment. Whenever I draw a neuron, it ends up looking like a, some sort of mutant moose. <laughs> so that's a horrible looking neuron. Let's put a cell nucleus in here so we know. Maybe a mitochondria. So many dendrites, a cell body, and an axon. The axon's not that thick. That would be ridiculous. But you have a lot of dendrites, one axon. You've probably been told, and it's mostly true, that dendrites receive information and axons send information, right? Eh, ish. Yeah, nothing's as simple as you were taught in intro. That's the way the world works. Doesn't matter what intro, what it, uh, biology, psychology, physics, doesn't matter. But generally, that's true. That's a good enough model to tell somebody when they're in first year. The one axon many dendrite thing is true. That's that is true. It's called a nerve in the peripheral nervous system and a tract in the central nervous system. Usually. <laughs> um, the optic nerve, for example, that connects your eye into your brain is part of your central nervous system. But Dave, you said in the central nervous system it's called a tract, usually. Okay. 
Okay, your ulnar nerve down here. You can actually feel that, right? Your quote funny bone. Like you can feel that's a, it's a bundle of that's a that's a nerve. That's a whole bunch of neurons, right? And if you stimulate it the right way, you know, my God, do I no longer have an ulnar nerve? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, <so. clears throat> Pins and needles now. It's for science. <laughs> I think I noticed that have an ulnar nerve, like these two fingers wouldn't work. They'd be numb all the way to the ear. But, so that's called a nerve, and that's right, but the optic nerve is called the nerve, it's really <laughs> the central nervous system, it should be called the optic tract, but that would be sensible. <coughs> okay. nervous systems, uh, like central and peripheral, it's about anatomy. It's about where stuff is. It's also about function, so it's about physiology, too. There's also another important characteristic difference between the two, is that in the central nervous system, generally neurogenesis doesn't happen very much after... a couple of years of life. Whereas neurogenesis happens in your in other words, you get damage to your peripheral nervous system, you can regrow those neurons. It doesn't happen in the central nervous system generally. Okay. So it's not so much about physiology, though the book sort of makes this point that when you want to talk about physiology, you can talk about the cranial nervous system and the spinal nervous system. So cranial is in the head, and spinal is everything from the spinal column and out to the rest of your body and in there as well. Uh, both of those are fine because the cranial nervous system we have control from and sense from our, well, sensory organs. So I'm not talking about eyes and ears, I'm talking about touch. Um, from your cranial nerves in your head and then the rest is all uh, uh, through your spinal column and the rest of your body okay so either of those is fine I prefer CNS PNS to me I, and I think that's just because I was taught it that way there's nothing wrong with, with cranial and, and, and spine it's just not something I think of as a rule So uh, your cranial nerves, as I mentioned the other day, there are 12 sets of two cranial nerves. They control inputs and outputs your stuff in your head. And it's interesting because, again, they're in your central nervous system. They really should be called tracks. Now your brain stem, you know that is, gets input from your touch senses on the rest of your body. So the touch senses in your here come through cranial nerves, but the rest of your body goes through your brain cell. Up to your brain for analysis. Okay? Um, so if I ask you what a brain stem is, well, let's say there's a diagram. 
of a brain, and it says brainstem, and then I have a little, or it doesn't say it, it gives to that, so you're writing brainstem, and then you're writing, you know, what it does. Connects uh, inputs from body. That's fun, something like that. My favorite thing I ever got, and I will tell you this now so none of you do it, is on a test once, it was a definition, your brainstem, and the person said, your brainstem, uh, uh, they told me what it was. It was where your spinal column ends and connects to your brain. Its function is to hold the brain up. <laughs> That's not true. To hold the brain up. Oh, by the way, I, th I sent you guys an email, right, about how I screwed up the definition of dorsal the other day? Was it dorsal? No, it was um, anterior posterior. I don't know. That was weird. Someone pointed that to me after class. Thank you. I forget who it was, but thank you, because I felt like an idiot. I'm not saying that sounded like I feel bad about it, about the person. Oh, I feel like I'm an idiot. So thanks for pointing out I'm an idiot. No, seriously, I'm glad the person pointed that, because I mean, I can't believe I did that. I literally texted my daughter right after class, and I said, I can't believe I did that. And she said, Dad, I slice brains all day, every day. And I screwed that up sometimes. So I felt better, because she's smarter than me. Still, I can't believe I screwed that up. Anterior, posterior. How did I? What was I thinking? I wasn't thinking. So, and the outputs go from the brain down through the brain stem and into the spinal column, except for the stuff in the head. Okay. Now, you can divide the brain up. In a lot of other ways, too, we talked about left hemisphere, right hemisphere. We've talked about the four lobes. Um, you can divide your brain up into the hind brain, the midbrain, and the diencephalon. In fact, this is nice because we can do this mostly with any animal, any vertebrate. Because like some vertebrates don't really have a cortex. Like birds don't really have a cortex. So we can still talk about it that way, and it still makes some sense. Hindbrain is at the back. Midbrain is now is basically the we're getting towards the limbic system there. And diencephalon is things like hippocampus, basal ganglia, all that stuff. And you'll see in a second. Um, just I'm going to show you this. You don't have to. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you about this. But this is like a sort of a schematic about the cranial uh, nerves. So you can see here, for example what they're controlling and where the input comes from. Okay? Don't worry too much about that. So the high brain, this is going to do fine movements and balance. This includes the cerebellum. So this is key for fine movement. It's also important in learning. Um, there's really recent data, like that came out two days ago, uh, showing the importance of the cerebellum uh, and how its integration of sensory information with motor information, um, and the importance of this uh, in, in, and the lack of that in people watching. Like that literally came out of two days ago. Two, maybe three. It's not on Twitter. I mean, from the guy who found it, it wasn't like just some guy on Twitter. It's from Donald Trump. He just. <laughs> yeah, an off, off day, started talking about neuroscience. Um, 
That was from Sam Wang at Princeton. Very cool. So quick movements. Uh, if you take a look at a frog, frogs have a cerebellum, and the frogs that stick their tongue out and catch bugs in midair, their cerebellum is bigger than ours if you factor in the size of the frog. You gotta be pretty quick to do that. That thing? Pretty cool. It's cooler being a person. <laughs> Eat way less bugs. Get to wreck the planet. It's awesome. This again, your reticular formation. So remember I talked about, uh, maybe I didn't, but there's a little, I should have brought them all around. <laughs> So for the brain stems like this, it's almost like a, what would you call that? The opposite of an indentation. Uh, in the brain stem, it's not that pronounced. And it's called the pons. Pons is a Latin word meaning bridge. And it's just basically information from the brain stem is going up to cortex, well, up to the brain. Let's just say that, not necessarily cortex. Uh, so from there to there passes through the ponds, which is a bridge. And the reticular formation's there too. So it wakes up. It puts you to sleep. If you're lucky, it puts you to sleep. If not, you're like me and you lie in bed for like an hour and a half or so. <laughs> Start of the school year doesn't play every year. Can't sleep. I mean, once I get to sleep, I'm that's fine, but it takes me a long time. And then you do the worst thing, right? You keep looking over the clock like, I've been awake <laughs> for an hour and 45 minutes. And then you think, like, I could have done something else. Why am I going to bed? Like, I've wasted an hour and 45 minutes lying here like some kind of idiot. I could have finished that mission and go to Recon Wild But no. I could watch an exhibition hockey game from the West Coast. I'd want to do that, I don't know, but you could. Now, the midbrain, we've got the tectum. Tectum, you brought them, you tectum. The superior colliculus, these are important, I'll tell you some important parts. Um, and the inferior colliculus, the, and we'll talk a lot more about these things as time goes by. So now we're getting, we're just the stuff covering up the brain stem, okay? Uh, the superior colliculus is important in vision, and the inferior colliculus is important in audition. You'll find out how and which, which way as we go along. Um, just below the tectum is the tegmentum, which is also important in movement, especially movement related to vision. So when you hear something and you look towards it, okay? So that's the midbrain, and I'll show you a diagram in a second, and you'll get a pretty good look and see, oh yeah, so it's the stuff that sort of just is on top of, in fact, here's a diagram now, just on top of the brainstem. See, so it's the stuff that's just sitting on top of it. <coughs> Superior colliculus, inferior colliculus. So this is basically sitting on top of the brainstem. We call that the midbrain. That's a, that's a Grey's Anatomy diagram. 
Now the diencephalon, now we're starting to talk about, when we talk about diencephalon, we can talk about the lobes of the brain in a human, like we talk about the cortex, but we're also talking about now basically the limbic system. We're talking about things like hippocampus and amygdala and hypothalamus. Right, so I talked about already how hypothalamus is hunger and thirst and sex, thermoregulation. Right, uh, thalamus is your sensory router. So the thalamus decides, and again, there's not like a little person in there pushing buttons, a little homunculus. The thalamus basically though is routing information in different places. Oh, this is visual information. We're going to send that back to visual cortex. Oh, this is auditory information. We're going to send that over to, uh, you know, whatever. So I, th I like to think of it as a router. A lot of times people used to say uh, a switchboard, but most people don't know what a switchboard is anymore. So, because um, you're all younger than I am. Unless, again, you watch Mad Men, you see the first season where she's moving in the switchboard room and... and Used to be the uh, operators with plugs, and it hasn't worked like that in ages. But books still say the sensory switchboards. Router's good. Everybody's got a router. I'm so hip with the scene, aren't I? So the forebrain. Now we're talking lobes <coughs> for sure. We're talking basal ganglia. Just in this diagram, it's probably not in your notes. I just grabbed that from Wikipedia. Which is tonight. It's a nice diagram. Um, so now we're talking about the cortex. We got the limbic cortex, or old cortex, sometimes called that. The neocortex is the lobes on top, the, 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 the lumpy bits on top. But below this, we've got things like basal ganglia. There's thalamus here. Substantia nigris here. The basal ganglia is important for movement. <coughs> And the substantia nigra, which is, you can see right there. Where'd it go? Substantia nigra, right there. So, if you have too much, or sorry, not enough dopamine, or not enough uh, dopamine receptors, you have Parkinson's disease. So you might think, well, what's the cure for Parkinson's disease? Give people dopamine. Doesn't work that way. Because your brain is protected by the blood-brain barrier and you, dopamine won't fit through. So what you use, what is used are versions of their dopamine precursors. So you give the nervous system something that it can turn easily into dopamine. It's L-dopa, levodopa. And it's, I've told this story many times, but you guys, the beautiful thing about this is most of you guys haven't heard all my ridiculous jokes. Um, now, because I don't see that well, and I always took, always took my own notes, and this was back, you know, I, I was always your parents, so I was an undergraduate a long time ago, so there weren't notes sent out by email. We didn't have email until I was in third year. So I'm writing this stuff down, and I write down L-DOPA, but I think it's E-L-D-O-P-A, L-DOPA. L-DOPA. <laughs> Like he's some kind of matador. <laughs> so I wrote that in a test, and the TA actually wrote it's not the, it's, it's Levadopa, it's not the name of a matador. Levadopa. <laughs> It'd be a great name. Like if I ever 
disappear and start to run a drug cartel. I call myself an adult bar. So I've been watching a lot of, watch a better call Saul, you know, the precursor to Breaking Bad, and then I've also been playing Ghost Recon Wildlands. I keep thinking about drug cartels. I, I am the danger. So we got basal ganglia here as well, which is, wait, this is, the limbic system's here, you get a hippocampus, amygdala, probably emotion, accumbens we talked about, our olfactory bulb, which is where we do analysis of smell. Smell's the weird um, sensory system we have, it's different than all other sensory systems in that it does not go through, through thalamus, which should tell you something. Let's see, what's it tell you about smell? What do you think? Please, sorry. Uh, it won't wake you up. Oh, I think a smoke will wake you up. No, no sure. Yeah. No, that's why they had sound alarms and not scented smoke alarms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's true. I that's it's probably not the reason. It's probably that you react more quickly to sound and process more quickly. But it's an interesting thought. What? Else? I don't know if that's true or not. Though. Cool. What's something else? What's the answer I'm actually looking for, rather than something that makes me go, that's neat. <laughs> no? It's probably pretty old, right? Everything else, it's the first sensory system. It's not like there were humans that could only smell and had no eyes, and no ears. No, it's that it's a chemical sense, and chemical senses are the oldest senses, basically. We don't live in a very smelly world, so meaning humans, what I mean by that is we don't smell very well. We aren't good at it. Compared to, say, olfactory bulbs in dogs are way bigger than ours, if you correct for the princess. Okay? We don't live in a smelly world. We live in a visual world. Right? We're, we're good at seeing. Well, you guys are. Some of us don't see very well. Must be bastards. <laughs> vision, three-dimensional movies, driver's licenses. I ride a bike a lot. It's probably wrong. Probably should. I do. It's funny, when I ride with my wife, and I ride a lot more than she does, she's always like, there's people coming. It's like, no, I, I can see them. And she's like, you know, I never really can be sure. That's fair. That's fair. So your spinal nervous system, we just talked about cranial stuff, spinal nervous system, look at this guy. Actually, speaking of um, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, it kind of looks like Mike Ehrman tried it. Um, anybody? So the spinal column has nerves running to and from. The spinal column may control and receive input, basically, from your brain, uh, and from your body, input from your body to your brain, and output from your brain to your body. And your skin, there are areas on your skin that correspond to different layers of your spinal column. They're called dermatomes. So you can see here that, so each of these, it's not a great diagram, but each of these numbers here on your skin represents a different layer of your spinal column. So this is why, for example, you think about, what's a good one here? Is that C2? C, yeah, no, C1, 2, 
C4. So that's C4. That's right about there. Okay? So if you get, say, tingling in your shoulder, and you can see how it works, it's on your shoulder, that's clear here, and the outside, like that. And say your left shoulder, and there's tingling there, that means you have a pinched nerve in your neck right about there. Please. I actually had chronic wrist pain from like a subluxation yeah. on my spine. Yeah. It's called subluxation when the spine is not the right shape and it puts pressure on Okay. There. I believe you. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, this is the thing. My dad had a, a problem with his back. And it was that right about here, my brother has the same problem, that his two discs uh, basically <coughs> pinched off his spinal column to the point where he woke up one morning and couldn't move his legs, um, which was quite something, apparently. <laughs> and he got fixed up and he was fine. Uh, my brother had the same problem. Uh, my dad, it was from falling into a, what's called a grease pit, which is where you go to work on a car underneath the car instead of a hoist. And it was a very bright, sunny day uh, in the winter. So it was like sort of snow blind. He walked into this garage, and he fell in and landed on his feet. And then drove home from And woke up the next morning and said to my mom, I can't move my legs. <laughs> so they went to the hospital. He was in the hospital six months. My brother, they did an outpatient. He went in. And my brother had some carrying gear because he's a record producer. He's Professor Broadback that never finished high school. Yeah. Runs the music industry arts program at Fanshawe College. He's a, yeah, I went to university for nine and a half years. Same title. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm very proud of it. But, so you see, this is why, for example, you will feel... I remember, in fact, feeling tingling right there. In my, and I thought, oh, I bet that's just, I, I must have twisted my neck. So I just did it a bit more. My, and I went, this is the one, oh yeah, it's definitely my neck. And I'll give it a couple of days and it keeps, if it goes away, I'll be fine. If it doesn't, I'll go to the doctor. And it went away and I was fine. So, but if you get an, uh, in an accident or something or have some kind of issue, one of the first things a doctor will do is they'll literally just take out a pin and, and poke you and say, do you feel this? Do you feel this? And if you feel here, you shouldn't feel, so if you don't feel here and not here, so maybe it's just a pinch, but if you get it severed, it's everything below, you're not going to feel it. And or be able to move it, if you actually get the spinal column severed. Okay. And it's not going to regrow. Your spinal column's not going to regrow. So that's why somebody who gets their spinal column severed in like a car accident, they'll, they'll may never say walk again. Depending on where they're, uh, where the break is. So inside the spinal column, it's a kind of a cool diagram actually, we have the dorsal root, that's from the sensory receptor, so dorsal, it's towards the back. So from the sensory area, uh, area on that dermatome goes through that certain area, uh, is wired to that certain layer of your spinal column, whatever that layer may be. And then the ventral root, the same way, that's just a movement, that same layer of the, of the spinal column. Uh, it's like this in everything with a spinal column. And those dermatomes, by the way, are the same in everybody. 
It's not like they're different depending on, I don't know, your outlook on life or something. Right? It's not like it's affected by your culture or the language you speak or the religion you have or the religion you don't have or anything else. We're all hooked up the same way because we're all the same species. And in fact, everything with a spinal column has dorsal root sensory ventral root movement that's called the Velmagendi law. It's a law. It's going to be called a law. When you call something a law, it's probably everywhere. Okay. Now, the what's called the internal sometimes nervous system or the autonomic nervous system, I like that one better, has two subsystems, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Generally, the sympathetic nervous system is what gets you going, and the parasympathetic nervous system is what cools you down. This runs on neurotransmitters that it, then they get secreted in the, excuse me, the bloodstream, or we call them hormones, uh, epinephrine and norepinephrine. It works slowly compared to the nervous system. Right? It may take 45 seconds to a minute for your body to react to a threat and actually have your heart beating faster and your pupils dilate and uh, your mouth gets dry and all that stuff. <laughs> right? Whereas if you know, you're going to go catch something, even me, well, but my nervous system can do those calculations where I can catch this marker by throwing. And it does it quickly enough. It's slow, but it seems fast because of all the parallel processing. It doesn't work that way with the autonomic system. It's pretty slow. So if you've ever been in, you ever had a near miss when you're driving? Right? And it's fine. And then about 45 seconds later, you get you freak out a little bit because your body sensed a threat. This happened to us. We were driving on Highway 69 before it was twinned. Uh, and a truck almost hit us. And I said, pull over to my wife. And she said, why? I said, just pull over. You're going to get all your, gonna get, your breath's going to get short. Your heart's going to be finished. Pull over. She said, how do you know that? I said, well, PhD. <laughs> but also, you're, it would happen, it's happening to me too. I'm freaking out a little bit right now. We, it'll be over. It's just we can't help it. We're hooked up that way. Right. The parasympathetic system does the opposite. It cools you down. It runs on cortisol. A lot of what goes on here is hormonal, which makes it exceedingly slow. And you have a little more control over this than you think. So if you can... Cognitively, if you can tell yourself that this is not a threat, this is not something to get worked up about, because this is dangerous. Like, overuse of this is bad for you. Right? It's good because it'll keep you away from dying in a bad situation, but most situations where our sympathetic nervous system gets aroused aren't life threatening. Right? They're usually because the bus is taking too long to arrive. Right? And then you do this. You're standing at the bus stop, but then you think, for some reason, if you go into the street, you walk. Maybe it'll come. You walk back there. I see people do that. Oh, does that increase your visual acuity when you walk out of the street? Line? <coughs> or if you're standing in line and someone wants to pay for something with a check, and you're going, what is this, 1830? <laughs> I'm pissed off enough when people use their bank cards and not their phones now. Let's speed it up! It's not a threat to your life. Don't let your sympathetic nervous system arouse. Get aroused. Or arouse you.
Okay. Some principles of nervous system organization. The sequence goes like this. Input, integrate, output. The input part is getting information in sense sensation, right? Integrate means analyze it, figure out what the object is, what the, th what the, what the, what the situation is. Uh, and also we, get, we got not only the sensory world, but then we have to put in our experiences. We put those together, right? That clock's wrong. Three minutes. Okay. And then output. Output is behavior. There's a functional division between sensory and motor systems such that you have a sensory. Uh, so, for example, think about the dorsal and ventral root. There's, there's your example right there. Inputs and outputs are crossed, though. So, in other words, they go, in the, they, they go by the same place. Like the, from the same uh, part of the spinal column, you're the inputs and outputs for uh, each dermatome. There's an example there. You, there's both symmetry and asymmetry. The symmetry is on a grand scale in that you, everything you have on the left side of the brain, you have the exact same thing on the right side of the brain. The asymmetry is involved usually in function. So when I talked about Broca's area having and the left side being about meaning and the right side being about intent of the word. Okay? But the symmetry is a lot more pronounced, I think, in the asymmetry. Your nervous system is all about excitation and inhibition. When you're doing something, like I'm talking right now, my Broca's area is very, is excited. The, the neurons are firing. The cranial nerves in my head that control my, my lips and my tongue are firing. Right? Other things are being inhibited. They aren't firing. So there are neurons that aren't firing right now. In fact, probably most of the neurons in my brain aren't firing right now, but that doesn't mean they're not doing anything. They're, they're, they're ready to go. They aren't off. They're poised to fire. And then there's things that are being inhibited. Okay, so certain, say, behavioral things that I would certainly not do in public. There are multiple levels of function. You'll see this as we go along, but when we talk about a very simple example here is the... Is the uh, is the, is the visual system where everything from your retina to when we talked a little bit today about the spirit colliculus, we'll get way more into that, and then eventually gets analyzed with these different layers of your occipital lobe. So it's different levels of function. So your nervous system is parallel and hierarchical. Hewlings Jackson is an important neurologist. Uh, came up with this notion that your nervous system is, is parallel and it's hierarchical, meaning all this stuff's happening at once. All of this firing's happening at the same time. All these systems work at the same time, yet there is a hierarchy to it. There is a hierarchy to it in that there are simple things that, are built, that build up more complex systems and more complex systems on top of them. Okay? And the final thing for today, 
is we will, well, I guess I can play with the last thing too, is things that are localized and distributed. In other words, we have a broker's area, right, for, that does language production, but it doesn't mean other, other linguistic stuff isn't happening at other places in my brain. Things are localized and distributed. And just to show you how complicated and how parallel and hierarchical a lot of these things can be, that's a simple functional diagram of the human nervous, uh, human visual system. You don't have to know that right now. You know what? You'll understand that in about two months. Because it's actually way easier. You look at that number. Excuse me? But it actually makes a great deal of sense. You'll look back on that at the, uh, yeah, sometime in November. Thanks, everybody.
Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GAU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.